through enough to grab us, took us outside, turned us around and put handcuffs on us. New video of an arrest that never should have happened and how their human rights complaint is getting a lot of support. Vaccine queue jumpers face the judge. I feel it should have been a jail sentence for sure. The reaction to a slap on the wrist for their illegal shot in the arm. And get ready for major backups on Broadway. How the next phase of subway construction is a lot of stop and go. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. New video is coming to light that shows Vancouver police officers handcuffing an Indigenous man and his 12-year-old granddaughter outside of Vancouver Bank back in 2019. The security video has been released by the Union of BC Indian Chiefs and Helsic Nation's Strong as Cedar campaign. And as John Hua reports, they want to make sure something like this never happens again. Sure enough, they grabbed us, took us outside, turned us around and put handcuffs on us. This CCTV footage made public for the very first time. I had to keep calm and keep a good head on my shoulders for my granddaughter because she was crying. That was one of the hardest things to see. Every frame, a painful flashback for Maxwell Johnson and his 12-year-old granddaughter. The pair were detained and handcuffed by Vancouver police at this Bank of Montreal on December 20th, 2019. Her crime, trying to open a bank account with her grandpa. Even today when I see it, it's still hard to see. I don't think it'll be with us for a while yet. A human rights complaint filed by Johnson against the Vancouver police is now getting some serious backup. This will have an intensity in focus and the Union of BC Indian Chiefs will be bringing the full weight of their legal team. The application for the Union of BC Indian Chiefs to intervene in the case made by well-known Indigenous rights advocate Mary Ellen Terpelafon. It's not only about an apology, but there hasn't even been the decency to give an apology. So from a legal viewpoint, that is what causes harm. Grand Chief Stuart Phillips stating Johnson will not stand alone in an effort to show there is systemic racism within the justice system. To automatically make the assumption, if you're brown, you're guilty. And that has to stop. Vancouver police would not provide comment on what was initially described as a response to an alleged fraud in progress, stating the matter is still with the office of the police complaints commissioner. There should never be 12-year-old girls in handcuffs. That's so disgusting. It's so disgraceful. As for Maxwell Johnson and his granddaughter, they know there's still a long road ahead. I had to go back into uh, counseling and my anxiety went back up and uh, now my granddaughter has anxiety. Yet reliving these difficult moments he says is necessary if it means making things right. Sean Hua, Global News. It has been a very emotional month for the Tecumlips Tishikwepam Nation following the discovery of the remains of an estimated 215 children at a former residential school site. Many have felt compelled to travel to the site to pay their respects, but that is now causing some concern. Nitu Garcha reports. 
there are growing memorials across BC, including this one at the Vancouver Art Gallery, 20 days since the discovery was confirmed. And as provincial pandemic reopening plans enter a new stage, there are renewed calls for COVID-19 protocols to be upheld. Please help us ensure that we do not have a tragedy upon tragedy. There have been non-stop activities since the news broke. Chief Roseanne Casimir is asking for activities at the Kamloops Indian Residential School Monument to slow down. A pace also used to describe the speed of the work involving the final report into the findings. The report is still in the works. Um, Given its significance, you can understand that there are a number of steps and due diligence that's needed. She says much of the work so far has involved outreach and initial conversations about the unmarked burial site. A radar survey is ongoing with complete preliminary data set to be shared publicly by the end of this month. Non-Indigenous people are truly getting a clear picture of what the Truth and Reconciliation Commission brought to light for us to move forward. But in order to move forward, she says, non-Indigenous people need to acknowledge the history and the steps needed for healing from intergenerational trauma. If your heart and your spirit have been impacted, to seek supports, mental health supports, traditional supports, call a friend, participate in ceremony. Please be cautious about the use of substances. More remains are expected to be found here, as the Tekemloops Band stands in solidarity with other Indigenous groups across the country who've made announcements about unmarked burials and those planning to search soon. Thank you for caring. Thank you for bringing your heart. Thank you for taking care of us. It's thanking supporters for an unexpected outpouring of love. Global News. The St. James Anglican Church rang its bells 215 times today to honor the victims of the former Kamloops residential school. The church paying its respects through efforts by the Aboriginal Front Door Society. The drop-in centre offers crisis services and counselling to Indigenous people and their families on the downtown east side. Organisers say it's important for the church to play a role in reconciliation. Today the Anglican Church wants to show their solidarity with the survivors of the residential school uh, and also kind of put a little bit of pressure on the Catholic diocese and the Catholic system in Italy to come come out with their apology as the Anglicans did back 20 years ago. The Pope has expressed his sorrow following the discovery of the remains, but has not formally apologized. Now, they avoided jail time, but not everyone is happy with the sentence handed down today for a Vancouver couple who lied to get their COVID shots in the Yukon. The small First Nations community where they got the vaccines was calling for a much harsher sentence. But as Aaron MacArthur reports, the couple did pay a price. Five months after they schemed and cheated the system, Rod and Ekaterina Baker have pleaded guilty to charges related to jumping the queue for vaccinations. The penalty for the wealthy couple? Just $1,150 each. I think some jail time was warranted um, because, of, uh, because of what they did. In January, the two flew to Whitehorse, then took a charter flight to the tiny community of Beaver Creek, 
home to the White River First Nation. They pretended to be local hotel workers and after pre-booking online, were vaccinated. Within hours, they returned to Whitehorse and while boarding a flight to Vancouver, were confronted by officers with the Yukon's Civil Emergency Measures Act. We were just completely angry, frustrated <clears throat> with these folks. What they, what they did was they, they put our community at risk. Now, after appearing by video link in a Whitehorse courtroom, they've admitted they did not comply with their arrival declaration and failed to self-isolate for 14 days. They have never apologized, nor have they tried to contact the White River First Nation. They just sat there and I didn't see the remorse. In making his ruling, the judge noted the Baker's actions were pre-planned and caused anxiety within the First Nations community. He also acknowledged mitigating factors. The Bakers admitted guilt, had no prior records, and donated $5,000 each to COVAX, a global initiative for equitable access to vaccines. I feel it should have been a jail sentence, for sure. Um, but like I mentioned, you know, Google the Bakers. Um, I'm sure their lives have been impacted greatly. After the story broke, Ron Baker stepped down as president and CEO of Great Canadian Gaming. White River First Nation told the court the Bakers need to educate themselves about First Nations. The judge agreed and encouraged the couple to make amends with people in Beaver Creek. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. All right, here's a look at the latest COVID-19 numbers for the province. We have 113 cases. That brings BC's total to 146,674, with 1,454 of those cases currently active. 134 people are in hospital, 41 in the ICU. And sadly, we have lost four more people to complications of the virus. Let's bring in Keith Baldry for more uh, on the vaccinations by age and how we're looking mm -hmm. right now for first and second doses, Keith. Yeah, it's looking very encouraging, Sophie. Again, we're now more than 4.1 million people. In fact, almost 4.2 million people overall with one or two doses. But the number of second doses is starting to get such. I thought it'd be useful to show the age breakdown for not only the first dose, but also the second doses, because more than 700,000 people have the second dose now. And as you, as you can see, very encouraging, because as we look at the age groups, the first dose uh, percentage vaccination rate starts to climb significantly as we get older. But it's encouraging. 18 plus is at 76%. We want to get to at least perhaps 85 or 90 percent, and that's a, a, a continuing apace. We're on schedule for that. Second dose, again, we're starting to see higher numbers on a daily basis. Almost all the doses every day are second doses, about 40,000, 50,000 of the 60,000 plus doses. You can see the second dose numbers rising as well as we work our way through the age group. So we're seeing older people getting the second dose at much higher rates than the, second, the first dose because, of course, they're coming online. They're eligible for it at an earlier time than the young ages. So encouraging numbers here, folks. We want to get those first doses up as well. So we're seeing, as I've reported in the early news, some communities in the Peace River and the interior of the north have very low vaccination rates right now. We're trying to get those numbers higher, but it's very encouraging when you see the numbers, not only for first doses, but second doses as well in Metro Vancouver and much of Vancouver Island. Our vaccination rollout right now probably ranks as probably the best in the country, along with Quebec. Our numbers of vaccinations are higher than other provinces, and that bodes well for the future, quite frankly. We could be achieving her immunity sometime at the end of the summer. 
That would be great news. And great to see those 18-plus numbers really uh, yeah. up there as well. Thanks, exactly. Keith. Sooner the better. And more shots are going into arms because Fraser Health has set up another pop-up vaccination clinic, this one targeting truckers. Commercial drivers who hadn't received their first COVID shot were invited to get one at the northbound truck pullout on Highway 91 in Delta today. While priority was given to truckers, anyone who needed a first shot could get one. The clinic will be there again Thursday from 10 until 3.30. The two-day clinic can provide up to 300 doses per day. An update on the big subway project along Broadway and B.C. businesses suffer a big blow to their bottom line. I was in shock. I thought it was a mistake. Massive increases in property tax for entrepreneurs all over the province still struggling to recover from the pandemic. How one new bistro owner is forced to pay thousands more. That's next on the News Hour. Our blows through a fence dangerously close to an elementary playground. What police say happened later on the News Hour. And ready to fly, the Abbotsford Air Show comes roaring back with an event they're calling Sky Drive. That's later. Right now, though, businesses and homeowners along the new Broadway SkyTrain subway line will be spared the nightmare of the Canada Line's cut and cover construction. But it won't be completely smooth sailing. Ted Chernecki explains why and where there will be lane closures for the next several months. One can only wish this is the speed at which the new Broadway subway project is progressing. The reality is much slower. Construction has started at some of the six stations along the Broadway corridor, and yes, there are lane closures in effect. At each station, there'll be pile-driving beams 18 meters deep. They will support road-level decking so traffic can flow while construction continues below deck. We had 110,000 transit riders a day before the pandemic cross Broadway to go to the Central Broadway business area, hospitals, and UBC, and we need to keep those trips moving. These lane closures will last six to nine months at each station, but some station decking will be done concurrently. It's small comfort for businesses along Broadway who were recently handed a big commercial tax increase from the province. Doubly bad uh, for the businesses. It's, you know, it's hard to get to them right now. Access is tough. Uh, deliveries are tough. Uh, with fingers crossed, because this is going to be a long-term project, uh, this will be the worst of it, and we'll get through it by the end of the summer. About this time next year, two large boring machines will start building the tunnels 15 to 20 meters below the surface at a rate of about 18 meters horizontally per day. And there'll be vibrations, not the good kind. No one wants to be in a situation where people are up late at night or, or they can't access their businesses or they're being interrupted with the construction of the project. And that's something I, for sure, I, I would see the project looking to take careful account of as we go through the five-year construction period. We are told the project will abide by most of Vancouver's noise bylaws and asked what if the tunneling operation runs into complications as happened on the Evergreen extension? The answer, it is the contractor who bears the risk, not the taxpayer. Today's update also suggested everything is on schedule for a planned opening by the end of 2025. Ted Chernock, News. And more now about that tax increase Ted mentioned that has thousands of B.C. businesses reeling just as they're beginning their shaky recovery from the pandemic. Grace Key explains why their tax bill has jumped and what they're asking the government to do about it. 
Bonjour Vietnam Bistro on Fraser Street in Vancouver opened up exactly one year ago after a three-month delay because of the pandemic. And if things weren't tough enough, co-owner Nui Dang was shocked when she saw the property tax jump by about $5,500 from last year. So I'm just a bit disappointed when I see the increase because we just closed indoor dining for two months and we just reopened indoor dining three weeks ago. And here I got a bill of a 45% tax increase. So I was quite in shock. During the pandemic, the province offered a one-time school tax cut for businesses, reducing the overall property tax by about 25%. The rate has now returned back to normal. The government says it has programs now that are more targeted to businesses in need. Not all businesses were impacted equally. Uh, but yet when we when you reduce um, the school tax, it, it didn't matter what kind of business you were in. So this way, we're taking those resources and we're putting it to those that, that most need it. Bonjour Vietnam was able to get a relief grant, but because it's a new restaurant, it didn't qualify for other government programs. Nui works 12 hours a day, six days a week. And on the one day the restaurant is closed, she's catching up on paperwork, struggling to stay open. I like to see the same rates as last year, just to help, just to help small businesses. It's a slow recovery for all, and uh, so I was expecting a bit more uh, support from the government. You know, they've just been a bit insensitive in this case to small businesses. July 1st can't come soon enough for restaurants. That's when more restrictions are expected to be lifted, including an end to group limits for indoor dining. Grace Key, Global News. Up next, the wartime artifact stopping traffic in North Vancouver. Why it's taking so long to defuse a potentially explosive situation. And the firebugs causing fears in Nanaimo, with many wondering where they'll strike next. Crews are on scene to a gas leak here in Surrey that has southbound King George Boulevard completely blocked off at Fraser Highway. Sussex Insurance are your auto insurance experts. Get more, save more with Stratford Private Auto. Ask for details on your next renewal. Find your nearest location at sussexinsurance.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a gas leak in Surrey. The special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories. On Global News Hour at 6. The Canadian Armed Forces has been dispatched to a home in North Vancouver to examine a potentially explosive discovery. Rumina Dea is live with the details on this one. Uh, Rumina, it's affected a number of homes. They've been evacuated as a precaution. They have, Sophie. Uh, four homes in the 200 block of Dollarton were evacuated. Members of the Canadian military arrived here just before 6 o'clock, about 5.50, and they're already gone. Um, so the house that they were focused on is about half a block away from where I'm standing. You can see, hopefully, in the video that you're looking at, a black truck with a white canopy. That belongs to the military. So they removed the explosive device, done wrapped up in less than 30 minutes. At this point, we don't know if, it was, if it's potentially live or inert. Um, it was members of MEOD that were handling the device. This is the Marine Explosive Ordnance Disposal Unit of the Canadian Forces. Now, we're hearing that the device is some sort of a shell about a foot long. Now, how dangerous is it? We just don't know at this point. 
our explosives disposal unit informed us that in situations like this where we have military ordnance, it falls to the Department of National Defense and the Canadian Armed Forces to send their personnel to deal with that item. So that's what's happened uh, since around 1.30 today. All right, Rumina, what do we know about how the RCMP learned about this device in the first place? So North Vancouver RCMP are telling us that they actually got a call from the person who bought the device. This person was wondering uh, if it's safe, he had some concerns. So they're saying that this is nothing criminal and they've done this as a precaution because at this point they don't know how potentially dangerous it might be. Back to you. Certainly had an impact on the immediate area, though. All right, thanks for that. Ramina Dea reporting in North Vancouver. Businesses in Nanaimo are worried about a string of arsons in the city's downtown core. As Kylie Stanton reports, while most of the fires have been minor, they're concerned that it's only a matter of time before something disastrous happens. This store had been chopped down. What started in an outside recycling bin quickly spread, nearly destroying this business. They had luckily got down here as soon as they did and managed to contain it before there was uh, more serious damage. But they did do a lot of damage to the roof and, and to some of the equipment that was inside. But the fire that was deliberately set here at Ajax Equipment on June 4th is just one of many. It's become pretty serious. According to the RCMP, 27 fires have been set in the past three months throughout downtown Nanaimo. While most are minor, usually involving cardboard and other flammable materials found in dumpsters, there's always the potential for the blaze to get out of control. And while there are videos like this one and surveillance footage surfacing, police are still looking for suspects. We've identified several people who we believe are responsible for setting some of the fires. There are others who are unidentified, and we need the public to work with us. If they see anything suspicious, to contact us immediately. Business and property owners are also being asked to do their part by removing combustibles on a daily basis, ensuring dumpsters are locked, and keeping landscaping in check. Keeping your lawn short to ensure that uh, it doesn't catch your uh, business or your residence on fire if it was set on fire. But the victims of these fires have had enough. Just a shame. Brian Mowat's garage went up in flames in late March, destroying a lifetime of collectibles, including a cherished car. I'm just at a loss for words. Many say the increase in crime is a direct result of the city's homeless population and the mental health and addictions crisis they're grappling with. As of July 1st, Mayor and Council will be spending $400,000 to ramp up security in the downtown core. I'm asking citizens uh, to be patient. We need to eliminate the fear that many have associated with our downtown and other parts of the city. They were hauling equipment out of here. In Halsell's case, it's too little too late, and he knows he won't be the last business to fall victim to these arsons. Until some uh, solution is found, we're all just going to have to put up with it. Kylie Stanton, Global News. An investigation is underway in West Vancouver after a driver crashed through a fence at an elementary school. Yeah, this happened yesterday just before pickup at Cypress Park Primary School on Marine Drive. The vehicle ended up just meters away from a playground with a lot of children and parents nearby. Luckily, no one was hurt. West Vancouver police say the driver was actually issued a speeding ticket in the same school zone just days before the crash. Very, very lucky with the amount of kids and again adults that are there to pick up their children at that time of the day. Uh, for whatever reason, call it a miracle, nobody got hurt and we're extremely lucky for that. 
Um, it's a stark reminder though, again, and we want this message to be heard loud and clear, that school zone speeds are 30 kilometers an hour from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. on school days, no exceptions. The driver was issued a second ticket of driving without due care and attention. Up next, notice you're paying more as we come out of the pandemic. As travel will reopen, we're anticipating that this will create some inflation. Why it's happening and how experts say it's likely going to be temporary. And one group that might still be at risk of COVID, even if they're vaccinated. Here we are at the Massey Tunnel where counterflow is out and traffic is moving well both ways. Keep in mind, though, that during the overnight hours, there is road work south of the tunnel near Ladner Trunk Road. Through a new charitable partnership between Kermac Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermac Collision and Autoglass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Centre. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Canada's inflation rate increased in May at the fastest pace in a decade, according to Statistics Canada. Global's Ann Gaviola has more on why you're paying more for gas, furniture and beef products than you were a year ago. The price of many consumer goods collapsed at the onset of the pandemic as people stayed home. Less driving meant dramatically lower prices at the pumps. Bricks and mortar stores shuttered, pushing the price of clothes down. But as more parts of the economy reopen, prices are climbing. Overall inflation jumped 3.6% in May. Nearly half of that was because of energy prices. They rose more than 26%. Food prices climbed 1.5% and the price of a passenger vehicle, new or used, rose 5%. The hot housing market is reflected in the latest inflation numbers. An item called homeowner's replacement is up 11%. One area um, of the index that's shown quite a significant increase has been this component, which um, really is tracking what it would cost to replace your home should you have to do so. This tracks the price of new homes, so elevated lumber prices are reflected there too. We can't grow a tree within a year, um, so that might stay for a while. The global microchip processor shortage, which has driven car prices skyward, could have staying power, but some of the inflationary pressures are temporary. As travel will reopen, we're anticipating that this will create some inflation, but that will go away slowly as uh, this year finishes and 2022 unfold. Economists say as we transition from buying up goods, furniture, sporting equipment and groceries to services, going out and eating in restaurants, that will relieve some of the price pressures. And this shift could mean more money in the pockets of workers who are in demand. As businesses are opening, are they going to have to sweeten the pot, as it were, uh, to get workers uh, to join their company? Anne Gaviola, Global News, Toronto. Vancouver researchers are helping lead a national study looking at the impacts of COVID vaccines on the tens of thousands of Canadians living with HIV. Aaron MacArthur shows us why the research is essential to improving health outcomes for this vulnerable part of our population. According to the public health experts, every shot brings this country one step closer to the end of the pandemic. But that protection is spread out a little unevenly. For Enrico Mandarino and more than 60,000 other people in Canada living with HIV, the vaccine selfie comes with more than a few questions. When do people with HIV have to get the booster shot or are we never really fully protected? Or uh, There's so many unanswered questions, but it, it adds a layer of complexity for someone with HIV. Now $2.6 million is being spent on studying the effectiveness of the COVID vaccine in people living with HIV. 
One part of the study will see researchers recruit 400 people in order to test for antibodies. The aim? To determine if this vulnerable group might need additional booster shots or higher dosing to achieve a similar level of protection as the general population. We have uh, physicians and HIV infectious disease specialists working in Vancouver, out of McGill in Montreal, out of University of Toronto, University of Ottawa. And timing of the essence because we want to catch these people when they come in to get their vaccine to get their blood draws. The second part of the study will delve into the health records of more than 30,000 HIV patients in BC and Ontario to compare health outcomes across the board. What is the burden of COVID-19 been among the population of people living with HIV? Are they more likely to get serious um, to, to experience more severe outcomes like hospitalizations or death? As Canada begins to unwind the restrictive measures designed to help stop the spread of COVID-19, people living with HIV are reluctant to move as quickly as everyone else. At this point, even vaccinated, many don't know how well they're protected. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Many healthcare workers across the country are feeling more and more burned out by the pandemic, and some are even opting to leave the industry altogether. Now facing a countrywide nursing shortage, some provinces are offering big bucks to attract new staff. Global's Jamie Marocker has more. 17 months since COVID-19 arrived in Canada, and Iram Chagala is still working long, grueling shifts. It's been emotionally challenging, uh, physically draining. Overworked and understaffed, she says something needs to give. They have decided to leave the profession um, or are planning to leave the profession very soon. In a 2021 survey of Ontario nurses, 13% of those polled ages 26 to 35 said they're likely to leave the profession after the pandemic. That's four times the usual rate. Now provinces and hospitals are responding to the staffing crisis with cash. Right now we have about 800 nursing vacancies. In Ottawa, the Queensway Carlton Hospital tweeted an offer of $10,000 to any nurse willing to relocate there. PEI has been offering a one-time $5,000 bonus for frontline workers who stay for two years. And back in Ontario, Windsor Regional Hospital is targeting nurses across the border with up to a $75,000 signing bonus. The government incentives are really um, to help us not to, you know, you know, steal from Peter to pay Paul so much as to bring nurses back to our community. There is short-term band-aid for a long-term problem. Doris Grinspun, the CEO of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario, says provincial governments need to focus on base pay instead. Investments on retention first and recruitment second. Adding she'd like to see professional development and tuition incentives over cash bonuses. Changala, who would have to leave her current job in Toronto to receive any of this money, agrees. It doesn't fix the problem of the emotional trauma, the emotional burden, um, the burnout, the stress that nurses have been undergoing. Warning, if something doesn't change soon, the situation will be critical. Jimmy Morocco, Global News, Toronto. Huge respect for our healthcare heroes, for sure. Still ahead, all that has changed since the pandemic arrived. Overall, wine was, and all liquor sales in the province increased. From liquor to kittens, how our desires were amplified with COVID at its worst. And the Abbotsford Air Show comes up with a creative way to celebrate flight from a safe distance.
You're watching Global News Hour at 6. No umbrella necessary, except maybe for shade out on Christie's balcony today. Mm-hmm. How you doing? That's right. And I'm great. I mean, how can you not be on an evening like this? Uh, and the sunshine is here to stay, although there's one little blip we do need to point out. And there's one part of the province that's still getting hammered with rain. But before we show you that, let's have a quick look at your photos because uh, we had some interesting clouds today and it's almost heavenly looking. When you look at this, a combination of those high cirrus clouds, those are the straight ones, kind of look like uh, feathers. And then you have the cumulus clouds. Thank you to Rob for that one. We have one more from Agassiz from Laura. And when you get those high high cirrus clouds, you get a lot of rainbows. So a lot of people sending me photos of this beautiful uh, sun dog, or pardon me, halo there. You can see, thank you to Tony for that one. And we've got another one coming up a little bit later. But rainfall warning getting, uh, continuing in through the northeastern corner of the province. Some areas getting 100 millimeters of rain. That will finally push out for you tomorrow. And uh, you'll finally see a break from all that rainfall. Meanwhile, the rest of the province, we're talking about scorching temperatures well above seasonal over the next seven days bit of a, a wave as we head into Saturday and that's the blip that I wanted to show you when we look at the five-day forecast but first tomorrow we are expecting sunshine across the province conditions ease across the northeastern corner you are still expecting though cloud cover and a few showers but the bulk of the heavy rain is going to shift out meanwhile the north coast expecting rain and that touches into the northern part of Vancouver Island as well but sunshine for the rest of the province but into Friday this is what I wanted to point out we're not completely in the clear so some cloud cover for our region Friday, and we'll likely see that on Saturday as well, with a slight chance of shower. So it's not a straight sunshine, but overall, we have no significant rain in the forecast for central and southern BC, including the south coast, and that's for the next seven days. So tomorrow, tons of sunshine. It's Friday, Saturday that we'll see a little bit more cloud cover with a slight chance of showers, but otherwise, we're talking about sunshine and warmth. So please be careful when you're enjoying the great outdoors. June is one of those months where we need the rainfall, so this is not great news. And this is the last uh, rainbow shot that I wanted to show you. Thank you to Craig for capturing that in Kitimat. Gorgeous shots. Thank you mm -hmm. to everyone. All right, back to you guys. Thanks. I don't know about you guys, but I'm moving to Kitimat. <laughs> Thanks, Christy. All right, the Abbotsford International Air Show is back, and it's returning this year as a drive-in experience. The lineup includes Canada's beloved snowbirds set to zip across the sky August 6th through 8th. Spectators can take in the show from their designated 400-square-foot spots on-site at the Abbotsford International Airport. Organizers say the Sky Drive experience is like a giant drive-in movie theater, but instead of a movie, you're watching an air show. And the new protocols will ensure the show can go on with public health safety measures in place. The nice thing about SkyDrive is that you're going to have your own dedicated space that's just yours and, and nobody else is, is uh, going to be in it. So um, I think especially for families with kids that, uh, that want a little bit of space for their kids to move around in and, and uh, when they get fidgety or, or bored, um, they're going to have that available to them. August 6th, 7th and 8th. That is a pretty good setup. So mm -hmm. if you can duplicate that out there, you're, you're living well. I feel like it would be tailgating, kind of. Yeah. yeah. Except not wandering from site to site there is that <laughs> maybe by then it'll be different though it's later in august right all right squire is here now what do you have for us squire? well uh, i was going to show you this but i thought you know what if you haven't seen it i'm going to leave it until the sports actually begins uh, canada last night of course beat haiti and for the first time since the 90s 
We are in the final stage of qualifying for the World Cup of Men's Soccer. But one of the goals that Canada got last night, well, we didn't score it. They scored it, Haiti. And it's an own goal that is so bizarre, the entire soccer world is talking about it. It is amazing. I, I, I could watch it a thousand times still trying to figure out how it happened. If we were in Haiti, you wouldn't have said that. That is true. Yes. It, it should not be mentioned if you're down there. <laughs> Uh, all right, also coming up for us, remember the before times, as Sophie has called them before? What's changed since the pandemic hit and how we're slowly getting back to normal? That's later. A lot of excitement for soccer fans, Squire. Yes, it's about time. It's been a long time since uh, Canada had a decent men's soccer team. And last night, our men's soccer team did something they hadn't done since 1997. I said last night, 1997, that's so long ago, Seinfeld and Friends were making new episodes back then. That's how far back it was. Um, thank you. Thank you. I'm here all the week. Enjoy the veal. Uh, anyway, that's an old joke, too. Canada made the final qualifying stage for the World Cup of 2022 by beating Haiti 4-0 on aggregate to advance to the final stage, which is eight teams, all the good ones, where the top three make it and the fourth place team will get a second chance in a playoff against the country from a different region. Now, the U.S. and Mexico are probably going to make it, so there's at least one or two spots for Canada to have a chance. Anyway, getting back to last night against Haiti. In that game... Haiti had one of the most bizarre own goals we have ever seen. Haitian keeper Josue Duverge, who is from Montreal, he didn't do it on purpose, certainly took the pressure off of Canada by doing this. Here we go. LaFrance, two center backs being good tonight for Haiti. Oh, oh. no, look out. What a mistake. Can okay, let's go back. Duverge, now watch. Watch his eyes. He sees Jonathan David coming towards him. But he takes his eye off the ball just for a split second. And it's at that point it goes through his legs. And then when he tries to kick it with his right foot, watch him right there. He kind of looks away from the ball. He hits it with his left foot and puts it in his own net. I have never seen that before. And I'm sure he still feels bad about it. Okay, there are the eight teams that Canada is facing in this final qualifying round. And if you go by world rankings, as you can see, Canada's in tough. We are 7th in the world rankings when you compare these eight teams, 70th overall. But we've moved up 47 spots in the last five years. So, Canada doing well. That is Gareth Bale. I'd recognize that man bun anywhere. It's Wales against Turkey today at the Euros. And Bale sets up Aaron Ramsey. It's 1-0 for the Welsh. Now Bale, two man buns with a chance on the penalty kick. Ow. Well, it's a lovely field goal, but that would count in a different type of football. But he would set up Wales' second goal, Connor Roberts. And the Welsh beat Turkey by the score of 2-0. Russia and Finland. Only one goal just before halftime. Alexei Moranchuk. Some nice moves here as well. 
goes left foot to the right corner. And Russia beats the Finns 1-0 in this one in St. Petersburg. Stadio Olimpico in Rome. Italy and the Swiss. Locatelli. One nothing. And then same man, same result. There is Barella. Three nothing the final for Italy over the Swiss. Well, a bunch of people on Reddit showed they can change the fortunes of a company's stock price, but that was many people. Cristiano Ronaldo did it all by himself, and he did it to Coca-Cola. He's not a fan of any soft drink, and even though Coke is a sponsor of the Euro soccer tournament, Ronaldo moving Coke bottles away from him in disgust caused a 1.6% drop in Coca-Cola's stock price. Just by moving two Cokes out of frame and promoting the virtues of water, Ronaldo cost Coca-Cola $4 billion in share value today. But don't feel bad for Coke. Their value is still $238 billion, but probably a good idea to keep their product away from Ronaldo in the future. All right, game two, Carey Price in Montreal in Vegas to face the Golden Knights. They have Jeff Petrie back in the lineup. That helps. Montreal missed him in game one. Nearly scores here, but Marc-Andre Fleury with the save. Montreal does get the first goal, though. Fortunate bounce off the Joel Edmondson shot. Goes right to Yoel Armia, who puts it in. Montreal has scored another late in the first period. They lead 2-0 over Vegas. Here's a Montreal guy, Felix Auger-Aliassime. Facing his hero. Some like to meet their hero. He wanted to also beat his hero, Roger Federer. This is one of the tune-up events for Wimbledon. Federer won the first set 6-4, but Felix came back to win the second set 6-3. They were born in the same day, 19 years apart. And Oje Aliassime, that's a great forehand down the line. He won the second set 6-3. Finishes it on an ace. He does beat his hero. Oje Aliassime over Roger Federer in three sets. And two of the biggest stars left in the NBA playoffs are on the sidelines for different reasons. The Clippers' Kawhi Leonard has a sprained knee. Won't play tonight in Game 5 against Utah. Could be gone for the entire series. And Phoenix point guard Chris Paul has been put in COVID protocol. The Suns are awaiting the winner of the Clippers-Jazz series to see who they'll play in the Western Conference Finals. And today, LeBron James said, see, we played too quickly after we ended the bubble playoffs last year, and that's why a bunch of guys got hurt. The NBA says, no, that's not the reason. All right. There's an argument. Yeah. Thanks, Squire. How COVID changed everything when we come back, where we sought comfort, and what we avoided during the pandemic. That's next. Over the past 15 months, there's been a lot of discussion about how the pandemic changed our province. From drinking more to driving less, there have been many tales about how we passed the time. That's right. And here at Global News, Richard Zussman has mined the data to figure out what was true and what was not. It was the perfect storm. People at home looking for company. So they turned to the SPCA. And kittens, 375 adopted in July, 427 finding a new home in August, 363 adopted in September, 442 in October. All told, 
nearly 3,200 kittens adopted in the year. What we found was that for every animal who was available, there were so many people seeking to adopt them. It's just one facet of life Global News has looked at to show how our lives have changed. If it wasn't kittens, some may have preferred the company of BC Wine. 15.1 million litres of BC Wine sold in April 2020, down to 14.7 million litres in August, back up in November and December when restrictions were in place before the home holiday season. While high-end BC wines benefited early, it was cheaper out of province wine that took over in the summer. Overall, wine was, and all liquor sales in the province increased, and overall wine did increase, but our piece of that, as the pie was getting bigger, our piece of that pie growth was getting smaller. The pandemic also turned the 811 phone line into the most popular call in town. In March 2019, a little fewer than 42,000 people called the health phone line. It soared to more than double that, nearly 100,000 calls in March 2020, volume dipped in the summer, and then the big wave, more than 100,000 calls in November. While people worried about their health, they stayed off the roads. In February 2020, more than 155,000 people crossed the Portman Bridge every day. Then travel screeched to a halt. 124,000 travelers a day in March, a little fewer than 97,000 a day in April. There was a time where people were even hesitant to go to a grocery store, and that changed very quickly. Cars did come back to our roads and bridges, ultimately returning to what is now our new normal. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And if you want to get another look at the numbers in Richard's story or maybe some of the other facets of life in British Columbia that have changed during the pandemic, you can see more by logging on to our website, globalnews.ca slash BC. But will things change back remains to be seen. Yeah. All right, final word on the weather, Christy. So pull out the sunscreen, you'll need it over the next little while. Not to forget, though, Friday and Saturday we'll see some cloud cover, maybe a slight chance of showers on Saturday. But overall, we've got a long stretch of dry weather on the way. So uh, make sure your sprinklers are working. <laughs> that looks nice. All right, thanks very much, Christy, and thanks for watching, everyone. Good night, all.